the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. This is the word to stand on for life. That means I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know by now, we are here every weekday at 4 o'clock on this great radio station to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions. The phone numbers for your Bible questions, 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature of the KSLR mobile app. It's absolutely free, and you can just hit the Call Now button, and you'll be connected directly to our studio. I had a great weekend. I hope you did as well. It was Communion Sunday for us here at Calvary Chapel. Yesterday was one of those days I told the people at the church, I said, you know, if you're here and you're not yet born again, this is like the best day ever to get born again because you can get saved, have your first communion as a born-again Christian, and then follow us to the waters of baptism in the afternoon. We were having a corporate baptism uh, yesterday afternoon. You could go to all both of the sacraments of the New Testament church, get it all done at once as the angels in heaven rejoice. And we really did have a great day yesterday. The baptism, it was really nice. I want to thank those of you who are radio station listeners. Uh, those who listen to this program, we had several of you come out and introduce yourselves to us at the baptism. Um, it was our first time doing it in the fall, and, and it wasn't quite as many people as we are normally used to uh, in our summer baptisms. But I'll tell you what, the weather was perfect. There was more water in the river because of the recent rains. It was a little cooler, which I liked very much. And so it really, really was a good day. Um, we had, uh, I think, four people get saved Uh, at the baptism. And I love that. You know, that's when the Spirit of God is working and you know the Spirit of God is working. So it's just one of those things that we get to do. So uh, we had a great weekend. I trust that you did. I hope and pray that people got saved where you go to church as well. That's why we go. That's why we go. We want to be filled with God's Spirit. We want opportunities to share the Lord Jesus with people who don't know Him. Hey, because it's Monday, tonight we have our normal men's, women's, and youth Bible studies at 7 o'clock. That's high school age youth. Uh, Dr. Sheba will be teaching the ladies tonight. Uh, Pastor Ken, the men, and Pastor Nelly teaching the high school age kids. And all of that begins at 7. We have child care provided, so we'd love for you to come. Uh, if you are one of the ladies, you can watch uh, on live stream at calvarysa.com if you can't make it here. But... Um, Dr. Sheba is such a good teacher. You'll be blessed. So all of that's happening here. Now, one more note, and then we'll get to questions. Um, As we talked about last week, um, this coming Thursday, uh, Raul Reese, um, whose radio program is heard on AM 630, The Word. Um, Raul, who is a a friend of mine, he is the pastor of Calvary Chapel of Golden Springs, located in Diamond Bar, California. Uh, his radio program airs twice a day on uh, on this radio station. 
and he's going to be here uh, in our sanctuary on Thursday night. Uh, at 7 o'clock, um, if you have a ticket from the KSLR audience, uh, then you're, we'd love to have you. Um, unfortunately, everything else is pretty well sold out. I'm sold out. We didn't really sell any tickets. We gave them away, but we're 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 past capacity levels. So uh, you can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. Uh, I also just now, just as getting ready to go in the air, got confirmation that uh, Pastor Rawl uh, is going to be on this program with me on Thursday. So uh, I'll try to get Paula here maybe on Wednesday if she's available, or we'll do it Friday. Whatever it works better for her. Uh, but uh, Pastor Raul will be on the radio program with me to take your phone calls and answer any questions on Thursday at 4 o'clock, as we're always on Thursday at 4 o'clock. So um, make a note of that. We'd love to have you join us. Okay, 340-9585. Let's go to the questions we've got. My friend Tanya from San Leandro, California. Tanya, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Tanya. So I, w- I heard about the baptism, and I was just in tears knowing some of the people that got baptized. So I wanted to thank you and uh, Mama Paula for just, you know, caring so much. And it's just, you know, like I said, I take you guys with me in my heart anywhere and everywhere that I go. And I just wanted to thank you for that. Um, but I do have a question for you. So um, uh, before you before you do, the- Tanya, before you do the question, if yes. you could have seen the look in Jennifer's face. Uh, and 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 seeing what God was doing and and is doing in Ray, it, it was really really uh, a great time. That's so beautiful to hear. I'm so, I mean, I was yeah. bawling watching the video. <laughs> so it was that was a beautiful uh, moment. So thank you, Pastor Ron, for mm-hmm. rightly dividing the word of God and feeding the flock. I'm just and caring for them and just so grateful that God uses you in such a beautiful manner. Thank you, Tammy. What's your question? So my question is, um, I have a friend that is, um, I know she knows, I know she wants to know more about Jesus. And um, she grew up in this area, in the San Francisco area, um, kind of believing in everything, you know, like, well, this is, Mm -hmm. this is this, this is that, kind of the all rose. And I gently tell her that, you know, Scripture tells us that that's not true and I don't try to, you know, make her feel bad, and I know when to stop. I feel like the Holy Spirit's like, shut your mouth now. Just let her let her go and let her, let her. But she keeps coming back with more questions, and she's a very intellectual type, um, very educated. And, um, and so I was thinking about, and I've been asking the Lord, really, you know, what would be a good way, something she could tangibly hold? And I was thinking about the Josh McDowell, um, the new evidence that demands a verdict. Um, I know there have been some revisions to the book itself. So I was was wondering, what do you, I mean, of course I could tell her, read the Bible, and that's always my first go-to, the Bible, the Bible. But it seems like that's not really registering um, with her, and I love her dearly. I think she's a a wonderful uh, individual, but unfortunately she's not saved, and and it's just weighing on my heart. And I was thinking maybe there is something, um, like I said, I do, when I speak with her, I I speak from uh, God's Word, the Bible, and I show her. Um, and I was wondering what your thoughts were on if you would still recommend the Josh McDowell, the new evidence that demands a verdict, and, are, and if, have you seen the new revisions um, of that book, and if that's something that you would recommend. Um, and, of course, I'm praying. I'm, I'm, I'm praying. She's on my prayer chain, prayer list, um, that God would really uh, open up her eyes and, and her ears and her heart to really know that there's only truly one way um, to heaven. Yeah. And so... Um, I'll take your answer off the air, but I just love you guys, and I'm so mm-hmm. grateful to you, Mama Paul. I know she's listening. I, I love you guys yeah. so much. So thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in, in the audience, uh, you can hear Tanya's heart, and that's why God uses her. Uh, she, she's she's one of those um, people that's always bringing strays home, and and that so honors the Lord and um, the, the people that got baptized um, yesterday and have given their life to Jesus. It, it's just been a, a wonderful, um, brief association. But to see what God is doing, and, and, and people with hearts like Tanya's 
are people that God can use. So, Tanya, we love you and we thank you very, very much. Let me answer your question. I have uh, seen the, the new evidence that demands a verdict. Uh, I've always recommended the book. Now, it, it is a difficult read. It's a very scholarly work. Uh, you said your friend is an intellectual, um, and, and that's great. But challenge her to be intellectually honest. As she keeps coming back to you with questions, it's obvious that the Holy Spirit is doing a work on her heart, but challenge her. Instead of just telling her uh, what the answers to her questions are, challenge her to be intellectually honest. Say, find out. Here's what you need to do. Read the Bible. Ask God to open your heart. And then be honest about what you're reading. If you really are looking to find out what's true, God will reveal what's true to you as you read the scripture, but, but, but you can't just pretend God knows if you're serious and sincere. So ask him to show you. Then you can find out through all kinds of extra sources, you can find out um, answers to all the questions that you have. We can prove to you that the Bible is the Word of God, but you've got to make that decision for yourself. And that takes you out of the crosshairs, Tanya. It keeps you from having to to go to that place where you're always pushing the envelope. Now the Holy Spirit seems to be doing a really, really good job. Now, relative to um, the the evidence of man's verdict, the the new revision, um, if she doesn't want to take on something that immense, and it is immense, um, I could, uh, two easier books to read, the, the Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, uh, and then he's got another one called The Case for the Bible. Uh, there's another one um, by Paul Little, L-Y-T-T-L-E, and these are even smaller than the Strobel books. Um, know what you believe and know why you believe. And these are books that, that people can open, they can kind of read through very, very quickly, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit will use those books to sort of whet her spiritual appetite. But now after you telling her the truth, after you praying for her, after she keeps coming back with more and more questions, now what you do, Tanya, is you leave it in her hands. You keep praying, you leave it in her hands, and, and challenge her, how much do you want to know what's true? I know it's true. I've satisfied all of my questions. So how much do you want to know what's true? And tell her, it's obvious that the Holy Spirit's working on your heart. So now the next step is yours. Read and believe or choose not to. But just don't do it with an intellectual dishonesty. Don't do it with a preconceived idea that things aren't as Christians claim they are. All they have to do is start at the tomb. And that's where Josh McDowell goes, by the way. But there's evidence for the Bible. In fact, the book is so comprehensive that it would take her a very, very long time to get through it. If she likes to read, if she's a studier, uh, that would be really, really good. So give her the book and challenge her. Thank you, Tanya. appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from... AA from our email inbox. He says, John 7.53 through John 8.11, my 1984 NIV says that these verses were not found in the earliest of manuscripts. Uh, If that's true, here's three questions. Uh, If that's true, how come they appear in our modern Bibles? The second question, how can God forget to provide John the inspiration to write it in the original manuscript? And C, uh, third question, did a scribe 300 to 400 years later decide to include the story when he finished copying the last verse of John's book? Uh, and he signs off, as always, AA. A, a couple of things. Um, when you have your 84 NAV, and of course that's the Bible that I teach from, you're looking at um, um, a, a version that was translated from the Alexandrian manuscripts. Now, they're thought to be older than the majority text or the Texas Receptus. Uh, and, and typically, we think something that's older is more authentic. Now, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. You know, we've got John 7.53 through John 8.11. We've got the end of the Gospel of Mark. We've got those um, uh, passages of Scripture referenced in abundance in, in the, with the early church fathers. As early as the first and second century, we've got uh, references that some of the church fathers 
uh, uh, commented on those verses, so we know that they were there. So I don't subscribe, even though I'm a 1984 NIV New Testament guy, I don't subscribe to the fact that just because something's older, it's better or more reliable. We have such an abundance of manuscript evidence that we don't really have to worry about it. And of course, for those who say the NIV takes passages out or the, the NASB takes passages out, if they took them out, if they didn't want them to be there, they wouldn't have them there with that notation. So nobody's trying to hide anything. They appear in our modern Bibles because they're translating a different set of manuscripts, and in those manuscripts, they're not there. Uh, I, I said that wrong. They're not in the, the uh, uh, that the notation is in your modern translations because um, the, the, that passage does not appear in the Alexandrian manuscripts. But that passage and others do appear in the majority texts, the ones that were widely circulated and widely accepted. The New King James, the King James, are, are the primary Bibles that we've translated from them. Uh, and so there really isn't any conflict at all. Um, as to your question, how can God forget to provide John the inspiration to write it in the original manuscript? Um, it's not a matter of God forgetting. Um, it's a matter of, of what appeared in the original autograph. We don't have the autographs. The originals are long gone. It's just that the manuscript evidence that helps us to get to what the originals had is so overwhelming that we don't have to worry about it. So it wasn't a matter of forgetting. Um, as John was writing or dictating uh, his gospel, uh, I'm personally very confident that it was in the original manuscript, so I don't really have any difficulty with that. But this is a tension that we don't have to worry about as Christians. Um, we have over almost 6,000 manuscripts that are sufficient, we can compare and come up with what the original, but in addition to that, in terms of pieces of manuscripts in the New Testament for, written in Greek, we have over 25,000 pieces of those manuscripts, so there, there's no question about these things, it's, it's simply a matter of, of being faithful to the manuscripts you're translating, uh, one was translating the older Alexandrian manuscripts, the others were translating the majority texts. So even the question about uh, did a scribe include it, um, the answer probably to that is no. Uh, so it wasn't added later. When you get notations like that, a, what you've got is you've got these higher critics uh, who are trying to find fault in the Bible, and what they, they're doing is, is, is just diminishing the value of our Bible. So these aren't questions that we really need to struggle with at all. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We've got Kelly calling from Live Oak. Kelly, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Kelly, are you out there? Oh, we lost Kelly. Kelly, you can call back. I'm sorry if I had you holding too long. Sometimes I talk too much. I guess that's just the danger of my job. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Uh, here is a question from Robert from our email inbox. And Robert, uh, I apologize to you. This one somehow kind of slipped through the cracks. And this was one that you sent, I think, early last week. So please uh, forgive us for not getting to it sooner. Robert says, in the early days of the church, Paul mentions that believers in Jesus were meeting on the Sabbath. When did the world, the world's Christians start gathering and worshiping on the first day of the week? And where does it say in Scripture that man can start worshiping on the first day of the week? Well, Robert, the, the um, commandment to worship the Sabbath was given only to Jews. So prior to Jesus coming, Jews who were under the law had to keep the Sabbath. Now, we can look at the Ten Commandments as an example. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament for us to follow the only one that is conspicuous by its abbots in Sabbath worship. So the Sabbath worship command was not for you, it wasn't for me, it was for God's people, Israel. Jesus wiped out the Old Covenant when he said at the, at the table we call the Last Supper, uh, he lifted the cup, he said, this is the cup of the New Covenant written in my blood. So he was canceling the Old Code, Paul says and establishing a new covenant, a covenant wonderfully of grace, of God's unmerited favor, 
So um, th- th- we, we have to learn to study our Bibles, Robert. And in the Old Testament, God was giving those laws to Jews. They were the ones under that covenant. We are not. Now, when did Christians start worshiping on the first day of the week? Immediately. Immediately. You look at the book of Acts, and all through the book of Acts, they're gathering together on the first day of the week. They do that in honor of the resurrection. You see, that's part of the new covenant. The the old covenant canceled, but fulfilled by Jesus as evidenced or validated by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So it's very important that we understand that. They worshipped on the first day of the week because they were celebrating a whole new thing. They were celebrating new life in Christ, resurrection power. And so it was just the tradition that was happening. Now, relative to your question, where does it say in Scripture that man can start worshipping on the first day of the week? It doesn't have to say that. You know, we, we need to, again, be students, rightly dividing the Word of God. And the way we do that is to understand the difference between the two covenants, the old and the new. So as you're reading the old covenant to Jews, not to us, Robert, we're never ever intended to worship on the Sabbath. If you go to Hebrews chapter 4, we're told that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. In other words, he fulfilled or completed the picture that the Sabbath represented. So it's very important for us to understand that. The new covenant, the practice of the early church, is why we now worship on the Sabbath. I'll go one step farther, Robert. Paul, in writing to legalists, he says, one man esteems one day uh, uh, as holy, uh, another man esteems another day. But then he tells us all days are to be established as holy to us. In other words, every day is a type of Sabbath. Every day is a day to worship the Lord. Every day is the day to surrender to his will for your life. So our rest is in Christ and the finished work on the cross. And we can rest every day. And I think sometimes we get this sort of religious-y attitude towards these things. No, the Jews had to worship on the Sabbath, and God never canceled that. But he did. In the upper room, Jesus canceled the code that was against us. And now, Paul says, we're to esteem all days the same. So the church's practice has always been from the first century church, from the brand new church, to gather together on the first day of the week. But we live in a time, Robert, where, um, you know, we work pretty much in 24-hour work cycle these days, and people are always working. There's people that can't get to church on Sunday morning. So what do they do? Are they just out? No. They can worship on one of those other days they esteem. That's why we have Bible studies here on Monday night for men and women. We have Bible studies on Wednesday that I do, Bible studies on Friday that we do. We get together and worship and study God's Word. And then, of course, we have three services on Sunday. Not everybody can make it in this culture that's changed so dramatically from that in the early church. So, uh, Robert, it was Paul. And even before Paul, Peter, and, and, and the writers of the New Testament, um, it's very clear in the book of Acts that they met on the first day of the week. So, Robert, thank you very much for the question. I hope that helps answer it. 340-9585. We're inside. We've got three minutes. Let me see if i got a three-minute question. Uh, Las Vegas question. I can't do that. Let's go to line one and talk with Chuck. Chuck, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. How was the water yesterday? It was perfect. Fantastic. I, I wish I could have been there with you. Uh, I do have a biblical question for you, but I wanted to thank everybody from Calvary uh, Chapel. Brothers and sisters have been praying for me about my back problems because uh, uh, this last eight days or so, I haven't had any problem with that nerve. and I'm actually outside enjoying some beautiful weather and Picking oh, up some stuff that's left over from the Hurricane Harvey <laughs> in, on my property of Vernon. So anyway, um, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, I was reading in my daily readings in um, Mark about when Jesus went over there and, and confronted Legion. I've always had a difficult time understanding why they uh, these demons, or all these demons, wanted to be put into those pigs and then committed suicide. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, is there even an answer to that? Or 
Yeah, I, I think there is, Chuck. Um, we're, we're getting close to the end of the break, so thank you for calling, and you can listen on the air. And if I don't finish before we go to the break, I'll do it. On, I'll finish it on the other side of the break. Um, for, for reasons we don't understand, Chuck, demons don't, they, they don't want to be disembodied spirits. Um, um, they go from one host to another. Um, they, they don't want to be disembodied. We'll never understand why until we get to heaven, and then when we get to heaven, it probably won't be important enough for us to ask. But, but clearly, when Jesus was ready to cast them out of legion, they asked to be put into the, the, the herd of pigs uh, because they didn't want to be disembodied. And then the reason Jesus allowed them to do it uh, instead, of, instead of putting them in the abyss, it wasn't time for that, but he cast them in the pigs because he wanted to give the people a demonstration of the power of Satan and the intent of Satan. And the, the intent of Satan is to kill, to steal, to destroy. And as soon as he put them in those pigs, they ran off the cliff and, and they died. Um, the spirits would then be out looking for other hosts. But um, um, Jesus was giving a sermon illustration. This is the devil. This is what he does. And he was basically warning the people, you need to listen to me. So, Chuck, I hope that helps. Thanks very much. we got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We will be back on the other side of the break in two minutes. See you then. the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Monday program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question I expected to get. Randy says, it's scary to think of the world that we live in now after Las Vegas. Are we at the end? Randy, all I know is that we're we're at in the last days. Um, so are we at the end of the world? Um, uh, who knows? Only God knows. And and um, before that time comes, of course, we're going to be taken out of here. Um, you know, whenever a tragedy like this happens, um, what we should be praying as Christians for, not only of obvious the obvious prayers for for peace and some sort of comfort for the victims and the families of the victims. Um, but, but, but that God would open hearts. You know, pain causes us to look for answers. The question why coming from an unbeliever is a good question. And we need to know that there's something out there that can make sense of it. And so our prayer can be, Lord, use this to bring people to you, whether they're motivated by fear or, or sadness, it doesn't matter, but whatever might make somebody turn to God and start asking those questions is important. It is a, a world, you know, Randy, when I first heard this, uh, I didn't hear about it until I got up this morning. When I first heard it, um, all I could think about, I told Paul, I said, man, the world we live in is different than the world I grew up in. I mean, these people, and I'm going to go off here for a minute, Randy, so please forgive me. But the world that we live in, I mean, I want you to think about all those people. Now, that was a three-day concert event, a country music event. People planned it. They paid for it. They were going to have a good time. And those 58-plus and rising people and the 500 who were injured, and that count continues to rise as well, they had no idea that this was going to be their final day on earth or that their their lives were going to be absolutely shattered in such a hideous way. I mean, they were going to have fun. Think about that for a moment. And some of those people, not some of them, all of those people who died met Jesus yesterday. Either as friend or foe. We've got to be ready. And Randy, when we see things like this happen, this is what we have to do as Christians. We've got to help the people that we communicate with, the people that we have influence with. We've got to communicate to them that there's no time. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. 
And the way we deal with this is to tell them that now's the time to decide. Paul says, today if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Today is the day of salvation. All of those people who died yesterday, they thought they had more time. So it's an opportunity for us to give them answers. So yeah, I think we're in the end times. I don't think, I don't know, I can't say that we're at the end. But listen to this. This is the way Paul describes it at the end of his life. He tells Timothy, these are his dying words. I want you to think, the last thing he says to Timothy, the man he loves, the man that he's entrusted his ministries to, he tells him, Timothy, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. It's a very strong word, terrible. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment because just if that was the description, we see that all around us. But listen to this next word, brutal not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Those are the signs that we're going to see in the world at the end. And that's what we saw in Las Vegas. It's what we see every day in our streets. People are boastfully denying God, being disobedient to parents, Honestly, the time I grew up was something that would we would never even think about. You know, dad was the law. Unforgiving people holding on to such anger. We live in an angry world. Slanderers. Yeah, it's a pretty brutal world that we're living in, Randy. And I think if we just open our eyes and we're to look for signs, not signs and wonders, but to look for signs of Jesus' return. Not so that we can escape, but so that we can make the most of the time that we have. Paul says in writing to the Ephesians, to redeem the time, making the most of every opportunity. So that's what we do, Randy, as believers. As, as we see these things happen, as our hearts break, we have to remember that there's still work to do. There's still work to do. We can't take these last days and sort of hide and just keep praying for Jesus to come. It's okay to pray for him to come. But you pray while you're busy. Busy serving, busy sharing, busy winning the loss. That's why I talked about Tanya uh, and, and her heart when she called in the first half hour. Uh, I, I love the fact that we've got some people like this at our church as well. They're, they're always bringing in strays. we got a guy who occasionally calls to the radio program. He listens every day. His name is Terry. And you should see the people he brings. And he doesn't care where he meets them. But every opportunity, he's looking for an opportunity to share Jesus. And, 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 you know, he's not a pastor. He doesn't have the answers to all their questions. So here's what he does. He says, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? I'll introduce you to my pastor. Or listen to the radio program. That's my pastor. You see, that's Jesus' heart. I trust the Lord. I hope and pray there were people sharing the truth of Jesus Christ with the people who were killed yesterday. Those who were hurt, they've got a long road of recovery. There will be terrible times in the last days. Randy, thank you for the question. We're on duty, we, we who are Christians. No days off. Jonathan says, Pastor Ron, do you think new doctrine is being developed beyond what the Bible teaches us? I guess I'm asking about new revelation. Jonathan, um, that's what the... That's what people who, who would claim, you know, we've got to conform with the times. We're a more sophisticated society. We can't take the Bible literally. We, we have to understand that it's, we've got to develop um, um, our doctrine based on what's going on around us, not just on a, a book that's old and obsolete. But those are the people 
John, who don't really know the Word of God and most of the time don't know God. There is nothing new. There's nothing new. Now, Daniel tells us in the end, we might even say in the information age that we live in, there'll be more wisdom given, more insight, but not new insight. So no, there is no new doctrine being developed, at least not any non-heretical doctrine. Because what the Bible teaches us is the full word of God. Hebrews opens within the last days, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And what we have is the word of God. We have the word of his son. And there's no new revelation. So any time, Jonathan, somebody tells you they have a new take on the Bible, any time somebody tells you that they've got new insight or new revelation, run away. Don't listen. Challenge him. You, you, you understand the Bible is written by God who lives outside of time and space. God doesn't need to ad- adapt. God doesn't need to get into a more sophisticated age because he is the God of all sophistication. So there's no new revelation. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. That's sort of an easy way to remember that, Jonathan. What we've got to do is decide to hold on to the ancient paths. And it ought to be okay for us. Somebody says, well, what you teach is old-fashioned. I always respond the same way. Well, that's okay because God is old and he doesn't change. So, Jonathan, we have the full and complete revelation of Jesus' story from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation all the way to the end, 22-21. Okay? Thanks, Jonathan. I hope that straightens it out for you. Don't be... You know, I was talking... Let me, let me go off on a little bit of a tangent. Uh, nobody's on the line, so... Um, uh, I was talking to somebody today, and when I went to the gym, somebody ran up to me. I gotta ask you a question. I gotta ask you a question. How do you explain this? And 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 you know, I said you you don't explain it, you declare it. You don't defend it, you declare it. Salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit, and we've got to understand our job is to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to those who are believers, we declare what our response to the gospel should be. But we don't have to come up with anything new. We don't have to apologize. Just because the world says that we're out of step, that we're narrow-minded, we're bigoted because we don't just accept anything anybody wants to do. We have to have confidence in the full and complete revelation that we have in the Word of God. And Jonathan, I'm sure this isn't the case with you. You've asked questions here before. When people who don't know the Bible, when people who don't read it, don't study it, challenge it, that's when we can challenge their intellectual honesty. There is nothing new under the sun. 340-9585, 340-9585, Patty wants to know if I recommend John MacArthur's teachings. I do, Patty, with one uh, exception. He is, as um, you probably know, a Calvinist. Um, I believe that the Calvinist doctrine is not only wrong, but, but um, uh, exceedingly damaging. I think it misses the character and the nature of God. Having said that, if you're listening to John MacArthur, teach anything except election, then you're probably really, really on strong ground. You know, John MacArthur is a man who has been a staunch, stable, and consistent defender of God's Word. Unapologetically, he stands by the Word of God because his doctrinal development of Reformed theology is wrong doesn't mean that we can't learn a lot from him. Um, He has been a faithful servant of God. His ministry has been prolific, whether it's um, uh, his radio ministry, uh, the ministry uh, pastoring the people that he's had the privilege of pastoring now for like 50 years. Um, And of course, writing books. Uh, 
Uh, so if you just if you if you're doctrinally sound enough to throw out the Calvinism stuff, then I think John MacArthur can be a great benefit for you. And oh my Patty, does he have rewards in heaven waiting for him? Does he ever have rewards waiting for him in heaven? So I hope that helps you and encourages you, Patty. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a tough question from Larry. Pastor Ron, he says, why do you think sanctification is so lacking in the church? Now, Larry, I think what you're asking is, why aren't we more sanctified? <laughs> uh, I think the, the answer to that question is probably, and I'm using a figure of speech because I know God knows everything, but I always imagine Jesus scratching his head in heaven wondering exactly the same thing. Why don't Christians believe me? Why don't Christians do what I say? Why don't Christians trust me? You see, the sanctification process is sped along by faith. And I think what's lacking in the church, Larry, is faith. You know, sanctification, I talked about this uh, in in sort of a slightly different vein in our pastor's discipleship class this past Saturday. Sanctification will happen as fast as you allow it to happen. God's not slow. God simply wants you to open your heart. And the, the more we, we submit to him, the more we understand the power of obedience and the power of faith, well, then the more sanctified, that means the more like Jesus we're going to be. That's how important it is. So, Larry, I think two reasons. I think we have a uh, an intentional lack of pursuing holiness in the church. Uh, I think we've traded the truth for a lie. We've We've made the gospel about us instead of about Jesus. Um, we, we have this picture that God wants to bless us, and, and it reveals how selfish we are at heart. Um, and then the other part of that is I think that we have no concern really for personal holiness. So that's why I think sanctification is lacking in church, but it all boils down to faith. Do we believe? Hope that helps, Larry. Let's go to uh, Joel in Converse. Joel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Young man, how's it going? <laughs> That's the nicest thing anybody said to me today. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. But I have a, a very basic question for you, and if you could answer it in, uh, as thoroughly and you can go as wide as you want with this, I just really need it archived so I can access it uh, tomorrow. Can you explain the difference between False doctrine, false teaching, and heresy, um, the contrast between uh, those and uh, are, are there false teachers and that teach false doctrine, uh, you know, is that the same as uh, heresy or uh, just whatever you can on the difference between that and if there's any uh, similarities with that as well and if you can give some examples of heresy and, uh, of course, some examples of, of false teaching and false doctrine that that you're aware of now that's being taught in big mega churches here in Texas as well. Uh hope that helps. Um, hope you I can do, do good with that. Now I'll listen thank online. You, I'll listen, I mean, on the okay, radio. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Joel plays drums. Uh, on our primary worship team, he's a, he's a, he's a fun, fun guy. Uh, a couple of things. Heresy always deals with the, the person of Christ. Uh, for something to rise to the level of heresy, it has to change the nature of the character of God. So, for example, Joel, if we're talking to a Mormon, and they say that that Jesus is a created son that he's not God, he is the Son of God, but he's not God. Now, a Mormon will convince you that, no, Jesus died for the sins of the world, Jesus died to bring his salvation, but they've got the wrong Jesus. So the heresy is that they're diminishing the person of Jesus Christ. They're demoting him from Almighty God to um, a created being instead of the creator of all things. Our Bibles, of course, say that there was nothing created that was created without him doing the creating. So that's what we have to understand. So heresy always deals with the nature and the character of God. Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they they obviously have a Jesus who is not creator God. Um, 
um, that's that's heresy. Uh, if you take false doctrine, let's just talk for a moment about the Catholic Church. Um, the Catholic Church is not heretical because they have the right Jesus, they have the right Father, they have the right Holy Spirit, they understand who they are, but because they place tradition and church dogma above the level of authority of the Word of God, they've gone into all kinds of false doctrine. They don't teach, for example, as I've said on this program many times, that a man must be born again. Uh, their response to, to, to a man must be born again is infant baptism. Well, we know that can't be true. So they're not heretical. They're just a, a religion um, uh, who is like so, so close, but close doesn't get you to heaven. Being born again gets you to heaven. I could say the same thing about others in our city or, or places. You know, we get these huge, huge churches, and the easiest way to fill a huge church is to tell people what they want to hear. You know, the biggest church in the country uh, is in Houston, and, and there is a, a, a false teacher who doesn't tell the truth. He tells parts of the truth, but he leaves out the hard parts of the truth because he doesn't want to offend anybody. He doesn't talk about sin. He doesn't talk about repentance. He doesn't talk about a total commitment to Jesus Christ. Uh, we have preachers all over in, in this country, including our city, uh, prosperity doctrine. That's false doctrine. Um, it doesn't mean it's heresy because they're proclaiming the Jesus who is the Son of God and God the Son. So it doesn't f fall to the level of heresy, but false teaching is very destructive. Uh, and, and the work that they're doing is actually evil. Now, I can't judge whether or not they're saved or not. I, you know, whether they're deceived or a deceiver, that's between them and the Lord. But it's easy to open your Bible and compare it to what they're teaching, Joel, and you find that their doctrine contradicts that of the Word of God. So that's false teaching, but doesn't fall to the level of heresy. Heresy always, always, always changes the character of the person of God, diminishes his statement that he is God incarnate. So, Joel, I hope that answers the question. That's the best I can do. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Oscar. Uh, and he says, Pastor Ron, do you think there's a heaven for those religious people who are not Christians but live good, sincere lives according to their faith? And then he says, I ask this as a Catholic. Oscar, a couple of things. Um, there are Catholics who are Christians and going to heaven. But they have to be born again. They have to be born again. Now, I'm going to very candidly give you my opinion that when a Catholic gets born again, he's going to see or she's going to see the errors in the Catholic Church, and they're going to leave. It's that simple, because you're not having Jesus presented to you in his fullness. You're not being equipped to live in this world. You're you're being equipped to be religious. But Jesus died that we might have a relationship. As to your second question, um, we know that when people from other religions die, some of them as martyrs, they're doing it for their version of heaven. You know, I think about the Vikings who committed unspeakable atrocities knowing that they were going to Valhalla. They found out that Valhalla wasn't real. So no, there is no heaven the way we understand heaven for religious people who are not Christians but live good, sincere lives. We also have to know, Oscar, that there is no one who's good. You know, good is a standard that applies only to God. And since we all fall so short of that standard, we have to understand that there's no one good. Paul says there's none good, not even one. There's no one who seeks God. And so what we really have to understand here is that we can imagine heaven, but Jesus said he's the only way to get to heaven. So I'm going to say what I said in my Bible study yesterday, Richard, or Oscar, rather, and I'm, I'm going to say what I've said many times in answer to questions like this on this program. Heaven is only going to be for born-again Christians. And the reason is because only born-again Christians 
have their sins forgiven and no one with a sin standing against them is going to go to heaven because sin can't be in heaven. It's that simple. So it's very, very important. There's only one heaven. There are not multiple heavens depending on what you believe or your sincerity. The only thing that matters is Jesus Christ. What did you do with him? What did you do with him? Now here's the problem with that. Yesterday's Bible study, starting Romans chapter 9, um, Paul astoundingly says he would give his place in heaven if only his brothers, the people of his own race, the Jews, would believe. Now obviously he couldn't do that, but, but we were getting a look into his heart. And people who believe they're going to heaven because they're Jewish aren't going to make it. Because they had a covenant with God. The nation of Israel had a covenant, not individuals. And there's no heaven for a Jew who isn't born again. And Oscar, we've got to declare that message. We've got to do it in love. And even if the world thinks we're being intolerant, we're being narrow-minded, maybe they think we're being arrogant, we have to appeal to the empty tomb. That's how we know that what we believe is true. It's how we know that all religions don't lead to the same place. So there's no other way to heaven. Jesus begged the Father, if this cup can pass, if there's any other way. And there wasn't any other way. He had to die. Peter says in Acts chapter 4, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. So Oscar, we have to declare that. We've got to start looking at nice people because nice and good is not the standard of heaven. Perfect is it. Only Christ gives us perfection. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I appreciate your questions and your phone calls. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember, men's, women's, and youth Bible studies tonight. I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock, Lord willing. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.